Man, I am so thrilled to see so many people on what is not our Christmas Eve service, but our Christmas Eve Sunday morning service. Like, like I was trying to like piece this together in my head. I'm like, wait, we, we celebrate Christmas Eve, but we're having a service in the morning. And I know Jesus was born in the evening, right? At least that's what all the stories tell us and all that kind of stuff. But um, we are thrilled to have you here on this Christmas Eve church service morning as we prepare our hearts for the evening. And if, if you happen to be here and you're like, man, I thought this was the Christmas Eve service, that's okay. We are thrilled that you are here, um, but I do want to invite you to come to our evening at 4 and 6. Um, this is not just designed for this morning. Um, we have something really special planned for this evening, and we do believe the Lord's going to speak in a sweet way. And as we designed this morning's service with the idea of like preparing our hearts for the arrival of, the, of our Lord and Savior. So this is really designed as part of our Advent season as we look forward to the arrival of Jesus and understanding what that means. But in all, all being said, like my goal is actually to meddle with your guys' perspective of the nativity scene. Okay, like that is like there's something about me that is like just real joyful about doing that. And so like I'm a purist. And so like anytime like my wife would put out the nativity scene, I always had to mess with it. Because I'm like, this is not historically correct. Right. Like in the one that bothers me the most. Anybody guess? The wise men. Right. Like it's like, come on. This is not right. And some of you are like, what are you talking about? Right. I just threw it all off for you. And like, and the fact is like three, why, why do we say three? Like, is it just because there's three gifts? In actuality, it's probably more like a hundred. And so it's just fascinating. And this evening, I'm really going to mess with your nativity scene concept. Okay. Because we're going to introduce a dragon. There should be a dragon in your nativity scene, and I'm pretty sure if you put a dragon out, your HOA probably wouldn't be too happy, but you know, Halloween has passed, all that kind of stuff. Nonetheless, here we are. Name is Branziski, lead pastor here at Austin Oaks Church. We're glad to have you. I am a huge lover of this season. There's so much that is wrapped up in Christmas Eve for me. Not only is it because I'm a Christmas baby and I was married on my birthday all around Christmas, but so many of my life like moments, like life-changing moments happened around Christmas. And so there's so many things where like Mary, when she got the message from Gabriel and, and heard the things from Elizabeth and all the things where she pondered them in her heart, she treasured them. Like there's a, a treasure room in my heart when it comes to this season. But there's a litany, right? Like a litany of decisions that happen in this season. And I don't know about you, but like decision fatigue for me is a real thing. Like, I, I get cranky when there's so many decisions. Like, where do you want to eat? I don't know. Right? And then my wife would be like, how about this? And be like, no. <laughs> then she's like, why are you saying you don't know? Like, all that kind of stuff. But like, I want to settle once and for all. Can we do this here this morning? So that way I have something to say this evening. Like, let's just like settle some things, okay? So that way we don't have to make certain decisions anymore on Christmas. Real tree, fake tree. Hands, real Real tree? Who cleans it up? That's the question, right? Fake tree? Okay, see, right there. We moved to the fake tree world, which was like a 
man, I'm an upper Midwestern, like fake trees are a cardinal sin. You do not do it. You go outside in your backyard, you cut your tree down. And it doesn't even have to be a pine tree. If you have a tree in your backyard, you put it in the house. Like that was, that's how we were raised in Wisconsin, right? But we moved to a fake tree because I was tired of cleaning up all the needles. Like that was it. Okay, how about this? Open up presents this evening or in the morning? Okay, the morning, or no, this evening. Okay, you guys are weird. That's all there is. Um, but, but we love you. In Jesus' name, we love you, right? Okay, do you open all your presents up at once, or do you take turns and waste half the day doing so? <laughs> I can say that my wife's not here. Shh. Right away, is it like chaos, or is it a five-hour ordeal? chaos right do you who okay who leaves the wrappers on the floor or who has to clean them all up right away all the time that's me all right christmas lists or no christmas lists i hate christmas lists so much and the reason being is because isn't the whole idea of christmas about grace right like like think about it like grace is a gift you don't deserve it. And when you start to put things on a list, it's like saying, this is what I want, and so therefore, since it's on a list, I'm expecting that. And if I don't get it, exactly what I put on the list, I may pretend to act like I like it. I mean, think about it. Like, I remember, like, as a kid, like, I didn't ever put myself in the shoes of my mom or dad when, when that would happen. Like, I remember sometimes I would open up the present, I would look at it and be like, oh, thank you, right? It, and I'm trying to be nice, but I didn't realize how I was coming off, and all of a sudden now I have kids, and they're returning the favor. And I'm going like, my goodness, can you just be happy? It's a gift, And I think sometimes we approach Christmas like that. Like, if we don't fully understand the gospel, if we don't fully understand grace, we come almost bringing, like, our own Christmas list of expectations on Jesus. And if he doesn't give us what we want on that list, like, man, we miss grace. And so, like, I wanted to kind of, like, prepare our hearts for what to expect when we encounter Jesus. And this could be like maybe you've never encountered Jesus, you never placed your faith in him as Lord and Savior, or maybe you have, and maybe you've wandered off, or maybe you're just like on fire for the Lord. It it doesn't matter because we all drift. We all kind of slowly move into our own expectations of wanting Jesus to do X, Y, and Z for us that we could always eat and easily lose sense of grace, which is a gift. It's undeserved. What would it be like? Okay, think about this for a moment. What would it be like that you laid out all of the gifts and then tomorrow morning you're about to open them up, but you say, stop, you have to go out and do some chores. Once you finish your chores, you can come get the gift. Is it a gift anymore? See, like, I, I think we, we got to come to this place of allowing Jesus to be who he is and allowing Christmas to be what it is and allow grace to completely satisfy every longing and every desire of our heart. So I wanted to, this morning, look at the story of the wise men. Because in this story of the wise men, there are so many things. 
that we can really resonate with deeply when it comes to this story. And I always think about like Charlie Brown a little bit, like that is like my favorite. When I was a kid, Charlie Brown Christmas was awesome. And then I became an adult and I was like, whoa, I didn't catch that message at all, right? And, it's, and I try to have my kids watch it and they're bored out of their minds, right? But there was that line that he said, cause like in that moment, like, can anybody tell me the meaning of Christmas? And I love the story of the wise men because they are probably, be, probably the least unexpected people to be at the scene. And the ones you would expect to be at the scene were the ones who were completely indifferent to it all. And it was all due to expectations. So let's look at this, if we could, and in Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to encourage you to just open there if you're in your Bible or if you have a phone. You can, just for this moment, go there. Matthew chapter 2. Christmas is a decision that God has made. And his decision was to send his son into this world. The dawning of redeeming grace, as it says in the song, Silent Night. When he was born, he was born Lord at his birth. And this was all grace. It's all undeserved. This was his decision that he made because of his love, his passion for us to save us, to rescue us, to transform us. He gave us his son. That's why I love Isaiah 9. For unto us a child is given. Right? Not a child was like born. Like, no, he was born to us and for us. He lived to us and for us, and he died to us and for us. It wasn't just he just came and did his thing. No, a son was given for us. This is God's decision to give us his son as a gift. And then we see the story of the wise men, and what we're gonna find in this story is what are we going to do? with that gift? Like, what decision are we going to make as we journey to discovering more and more of the beauty of Jesus and the beauty of the grace that he bestows? Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people and asked them where the Christ would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. And so then he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go search carefully for the child. And when you find him, report back to me so that I too can go worship him. And after hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star had seen at its rising. It had led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. And entering the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother. And falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts. 
gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There's where we think there's three of them. But it's not. There's so many pieces to the story that is absolutely fascinating. And you kind of got to remove yourself from some of the sentimentality that we're so used to with Christmas and start asking ourselves some questions about this story a little bit. Like, who are these people? When it says from the east, what does that mean? How far did they travel? Do you ever think about like the dangers and the cost of traveling so far on a trip like that? We're talking about probably about a thousand miles. Because what we discovered, if we were to piece history back, these people, these wise men came probably from Persia or Babylon. That's a thousand mile journey. It didn't take like one day. Like we're talking roughly about a nine to 12 month journey. That's dedication. And how do these people a thousand miles away in Persia, in Babylon, ever know about a star that would foretell the coming of the king of kings? So like, where did they know that from? Was it just like out of thin air? Like, oh, there's a new star in the sky. Let's go follow it. Let's see what happens. Like, no, there was something deep and profound where God was drawing the unexpected people to the manger to encounter grace. Something beyond our comprehension. So if we were to go back in history and we were to piece this together, scholars, historians connect the dots and say these wise men heard about this prophecy probably from the time when Israel was in exile in Babylon, when Daniel the boy who was thrown in the lion's den was promoted by God in his favor to be kind of the leader of the magicians, the, the wise men. Like, think about that for a moment. God raised up Daniel in Babylon to have influence, and he was kind of the leader. He oversaw the dream tellers, the foreseers, the wise men, or the magi. He was in that camp. And without a doubt, we can safely assume, because Daniel prayed like stubbornly, like no matter what Nebuchadnezzar would tell him to do, he's going to do it anyways, because he's going to be loyal to God. He knew the Old Testament, and more than likely, there is a prophecy in Numbers 24, verse 17 that I have to believe that he must have shared with these magi. I see him, but now, but not now. I see him, but not now. I perceive him, but I not here. A star will come from Jacob and a scepter will arise from Israel and he will smash the forehead of Moab. Ouch, and strike down all of the Shethites. This wasn't just poetic language in the ancient Near East. Like, this was a strong prophetic word. And so these magi must have passed this on from generation to generation to generation to generation. Because we're talking some 500 plus years removed from Daniel to the time that these magi showed up. Fascinating. There are two Roman historians that talk about this scene. Okay, the Roman historian Suetonius speaks of this. He was, the, Suetonius was present. He was living around the time of Jesus. Here, here's, here's the, what he wrote. 
there had spread over all of the Orient, all of the East, Persia, Babylon, an old and established belief that it was fated at the time for men coming from Judea to rule the world. I'm pretty sure Daniel had some influence there. Another Roman historian, Tacitus, wrote, there was a firm persuasion that at this very time, time of Jesus, the East was to grow powerful and rulers coming from Judea were to acquire a universal empire. These are not Jews. These are not Christians. These are Roman historians cluing us in to the Magi. How cool is that? Amazing. So these Magi were so moved by this that they took a thousand-mile journey that had to have been extremely expensive, extremely dangerous for nine to 12 months following a star, which is none other than God drawing them to himself. Friends, I'm telling you right now in your life, God has stars in your life, and they could be people, circumstances, events that are drawing you to himself. If you're not a believer, I don't believe you're here by accident. I believe this is all part of God drawing you to himself. And if you've wandered off the path and and maybe this is your first time in church in a long time, like God is drawing you to yourself. And for us, we're like, man, I, I, I love Jesus. Like we can praise him and be thankful as we reflect on all of those markers of God drawing us. Nobody, nobody would have expected the Magi to come worship a Jewish king. But here they are in this story. So what I find fascinating is that these guys, they show up, and where do they go first? Where do they go? To the palace. Why? They're expecting a king. There's, there's no king here, no baby here, just a tyrant, right? So they didn't expect Jesus to be born in a manger. They expected the king to rule this known world to be born in a palace, royalty, blood, power, pomp, circumstance. But they get there, they're like, oh, they're not here. But even when we look at this text, what's fascinating is that their arrival caused a commotion in the town. And when they showed up to the palace, people are like, what's going on? And Herod is just like, now he's paranoid. Why? Guess this. This is so awesome. The Magi in the ancient Near East Everybody knew this. Even people in Judea knew that when the Magi showed up, they were known as the king selectors. When they showed up, they were the ones to put the anointing on that king. So when these Magi showed up in Jerusalem, there was a commotion because people knew who they were. And that's why I'm telling you, it wasn't three of them. They came in a caravan. They were wealthy. And so we're talking a parade coming into Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, Herod's like, what are they doing here? And he gets paranoid. And so he calls in the scribes and the Pharisees. And they're like, hey, 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 what do our scriptures say about this? And here's the other part that is just so ironic. They tell Herod exactly everything. 
oh, there will be a Messiah that will be born in Bethlehem, in Judea. And maybe they even talked about the star thing. And did they even go and look? Right? Like, think about it. Magi traveled a thousand miles. Here we are, the scholarly elites where the Pharisees were described. We know all the scripture. We can tell you everything that's going to happen. They're looking for that one. Now nah, we ain't going to look. And so, Herod conceives a little bit of a plot. Hey, Magi, go, go find this baby. Go, I commission, I commission you. Go to Bethlehem, find this baby, see if there's anything there, because I too want to worship him. Sure you do. Because unfortunately, there is a really grim side of the Christmas story. That's never told, and I get it, because it's gruesome. Herod is so paranoid, he doesn't want to lose his power, his authority, his position, that he actually executes infanticide. He commands every male under the age of two and younger to be executed. He wants to kill Jesus. He wants to kill this king. He doesn't know who it is, so let's just get rid of all babies, every baby male, two years old and younger. That happened around the Christmas story. He, he, he doesn't want to come worship this king. The scribes and the Pharisees remain completely indifferent to it all. That, that part just blows my mind because they know it. They know it. They know the prophecy. Bethlehem. Oh, yeah, we, we know everything about it. But they do nothing. It's foolish. I mean, friends, we know if we have ever tasted and seen the love of God, we know grace. And some of us are very culpable and not culpable, but, but we're very much guilty in the same vein that the scribes and Pharisees are where we can be absolutely indifferent to what we know to be true. God is good. God loves me. He forgives me. There's freedom. God's word is true. I believe that, but I'm not always going to apply it to myself. We can be indifferent to what we know. And maybe it's because we're afraid that what we will discover isn't what we are actually expecting to receive. But what I love in this story is that the Magi did not care. They did not care if this baby was born in a palace or not. So they went to Bethlehem. They followed the star. And the star landed, I don't know how that was, I'm very curious to know, right there. It wasn't an inn like in The Hobbit or something. It wasn't a building. It was more than likely a cave. And it was more likely not a constructed wooden manger, but probably a rock ledge with food in it for the animals. Manure, not real regal. And they came. Did they come when he was born or did he come when the child was older? We don't know. My best guess is they came when the child was older. But when they got there, they immediately fell to their knees and worshiped this child. 
The Magi were not expected people to get it, but they got it. And probably Jesus didn't fit the expectations that they had in mind of what a king that would rule a universal empire would look like, but it didn't matter. They worshiped him nonetheless. So as you go into Christmas and Christmas Eve this evening, going into the Christmas day, I want you to reflect on three, one of these three choices. Because honestly, there's really only three choices that I see that we can make in a story like this. One, we can decide to receive the gift of God's grace with joy. And it's a question of, will you bow at his feet and worship him? And worship also means like, man, I'm going to give. I'm going to give treasures. And no, we're not talking dollars. We're going to give treasures of things that are treasured in my own heart because he's worthy of it. Will you choose to come? And listen, some of you are on a journey and that's good. That's okay. Like maybe that decision isn't so much a today decision, but I want to encourage you, keep journeying like the Magi did for as long as it takes and keep leaning in and following the stars and the people and the signs and the circumstances that God places in your life to lead you to him. Receive him with joy or you can continue to receive it with indifference. I mean, like, what's that phrase? Like, familiarity breeds contempt, right? Like, we can see Christmas as so cozy and all full of commercialism and sentimentality that, oh, I know the story, I know this, and all these kind of things. But, like, just slow down and think about the power and the significance of the one who spoke all things into existence with the word coming, taking on flesh into our world to live the life that we should have lived, to... And he took our punishment upon him and he died our death so that we could be made whole, so we could be freed. We could have his joy and his peace. I want to encourage you, don't choose to be indifferent. Don't go, ah, yeah, I know that, and do nothing. Move towards it. Or you can choose to respond to this new king with hostility because that's what Herod did. And, and here's the truth, friends. The reason why Herod was hostile was because he didn't want to abdicate the throne. And being hostile towards Jesus doesn't mean you're going to go kill a bunch of people. Being hostile to Jesus just simply means you're going to fight. You're going to fight against his lordship because you don't want to abdicate the throne. You'd rather be the one in charge of your own life. You'd rather have this or that rule and reign in your own heart besides Jesus. And that's a fight. So I want to encourage you, surrender. Raise the white flag and say, mercy. Just like I would say if I was wrestling BJ. Mercy, now. (laughs) You were just in the corner of my eye and ADD kicked in. That's all there is to that. 
So you can receive them with joy. You can choose indifference. Or you can choose hostility. But I want to encourage you, like the Magi, make that journey to the manger and see the gift of grace. You don't have to earn it. It doesn't depend on your character. It doesn't depend on how good you are or what you've done or what's been done to you. It's his grace. It's been given freely to you as a gift, and we are called by faith to receive it. Come like the Magi. Because he's coming after you, and he's going to keep drawing you to himself as long as you have breath. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for this season. Lord, I am reminded of a quote from C.S. Lewis, where he says that if Christianity, if it's false, is of no importance, but if it's true, it's of infinite importance, and that the only thing Christianity can't be is moderately important. Lord, 2020 some years ago, you broke into our world and you dramatically changed everything and you are still changing everything. Lord, I pray for my friends in this room. Lord, that you would uh, dawn on them. Would you shine the glory of your face on them? Would you give them grace and peace and mercy, Lord? I pray that you would soften hearts. Lord, forgive us for being indifferent to you Forgive us for at times being hostile towards you and fighting where we don't want to abdicate or surrender our own claim to our heart and rulership. So Lord, we, we do ask that this would be a journey today in our own lives, that we would go from here to the evening. If you so allow, God, would you help us just to see your love and your grace and your beauty as you draw us again to your son, Jesus. We pray this. In his name, and all God's people said, amen.